0: Hello and welcome to the Everyday Problems podcast, a podcast about the problems we face each day as we go about our busy lives. I'm Tom Corniel, and my co-host Liam Tarvit and I have had many dealings with depression and anxiety and other related issues and wanted to provide a safe space where we can normalise the conversation around mental health and its impact on everything from the workplace to grief to just getting through the day. I should point out that we're not medical professionals and we don't profess to have all the answers, but we are veterans of the embattled mind and we hope that by sharing our war stories we might shed some light on solutions that could be useful to you or people that you know. In this episode Liam and I talk to Debbie Cannon. Debbie is a fraudulent claims investigator, she's also a music journalist, a musician and massive music fan in general, she's a spokesperson for the underdog and she's an all round big hearted human being. As you'll hear in the show, Debbie's had to fight a lot of adversity in her life. She now speaks passionately about living as authentically and as truly to yourself as possible. As you're about to discover, Debbie is a wonderful guest and we're really grateful to have her. I have to apologise as this week we did experience some crackling down the line which we didn't find until after we'd recorded the show. We're not quite sure where it came from but hopefully it doesn't impede your enjoyment of the episode too much. Without further ado, off we go. Are you in your, um, is this your studio? I can see, I can see a, a six string, I can see a bass, I can see an amplifier, looks pretty good to me.
1: It's, um, I've had the amp for years, I've got an SG in the corner, I never use it. Right. A phone SG, the red one, like, you know,
0: yeah. um, but the
1: Fender Stratocaster my landlords, like, I. I do pick up the guitar occasionally, but because yeah. I'm so in love with the bass now and play it so much, it's like. These strings hurt my fingers. <laughs> it's like playing on cheese wire, and um, yeah, I think it's too many strings. Like
0: you don't, you only need four. That's a fair comment. Liam is a—he does play guitar, but he is—I think he would say first and foremost a bass player. So he's probably okay. going to agree with you on that. He's actually should be entering the uh, entering the scene any minute now.
2: Just I don't know if you can see me. You can probably hear me, but I think my uh, my camera's not working. I'm on a different computer. First and foremost, I would say I'm a genius, not a bassist. <laughs> but that's very much, uh, very much a, a secondary thing for me. But um, nice to meet you, Debbie. Nice to meet you, Liam. Um, I w- let, just bear with me a second. Let me try and get my camera on. Yeah. How are you both today? Um, okay, now I've... I've... <sighs>
1: I don't know. I woke up in a really shit mood. Um, But I I listened to a few um, podcasts on BBC Radio Sounds talking about the brain and functioning brain and like how uh, mental exercises can help people who have um, dementia. And then the next episode was about circadian rhythm and why it's important um, to our cognitive ability and the effect of cortisol on our cognitive ability. And like, I I don't know why. Some something just flipped it in my brain. Like, and I'm fine now. So like, and I I did listen to um, Fruit Bat's new album as well, before I did this podcast. And it's just like so Fruit. mellow. It's just brilliant. Fruit Bat. Fruit From Bats. From Carter. Oh. Uh, I don't know. No. It's called Fruit Bats, but anyway, it's like it's quite country, folky kind of stuff. Like I was actually listening to um. Ten Fe, a, play, a radio, like, you know Spotify do a radio with an artist. So if you're like an artist, you can go to the radio and listen to similar. Mm. Um, Ten Fei are a band who I really love. And like, it was Ten Fei radio and this song came on. I was like, oh, I love this. It's like, the album was only released a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll go and listen to the whole thing. And yeah, it was brilliant. So nice. yay for Spotify.
0: <laughs> well, your day has been immeasurably more interesting than mine. I ate a lemon Bakewell nice earlier and now it's now i must have done something (laughs) i must have done something i went out for a brief walk um and uh yeah my dad delivered some logs and i got some domestic stuff done which is really important because it's I've, I've had a list as long as you're on of things to do around the house for ages, but I've just been through one of those periods where you um, just don't seem to get any further down the list, or as, as quickly as you can do one thing, another one seems to find its way on there. So it felt good just to clean some stuff out. I would say at this point in the day, I'm probably a seven. Hello, mate.
2: Hello. There he is, oh. the genius that is Liam Tarvit. <laughs> is Debbie <laughs> gone though? Oh no! It's because I'm on here. my phone now, so it's all like it's whoever speaks you can shows up on my screen. If you swipe, oh, I can the Yeah, there we go. With... Yeah, lovely. Well, that, I, there you go. I mean, that's both better than my days, which has just been at work all day.
1: Yeah, I mean, half at work. Yeah.
2: I listened to a good, a great playlist actually on uh, on that, uh, that BBC Sounds thing. Mm-hmm. from um Nas has done is doing a podcast about a fight. Um Mohammed Ali and Foreman, I suppose. I don't know, but they've got like there's a whole series of podcasts about it. And they've compiled the soundtrack for it onto a playlist. And it's all just funk and soul. Sixties funk and oh, soul. Oh wow gold. Absolute gold.
0: I'd like to see the I'd like to see the programme and then listen to the playlist actually. That sounds right at my street.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: I can put this.
0: Cool.
1: It's amazing that, like, when you listen to Funk and Soul or even some disco as well, like, chic stuff like that as a bass player, like, I have a whole new appreciation for it. Like, those bass oh, players yeah. are so talented. Like, oh. blow me away. Stevie Wonder's bass player, like,
0: mind-blowing. Shall I fire a couple of questions off and then we can just riff on... on yeah. We get- right. So th- there's no... Yeah. There's no real formula to, um, to this show. We have sort of some questions that both Liam and I will, will come armed with, but it's far more interesting than the questions we ask is the conversations that happen accidentally. So um, just to, to give listeners an idea, really, of who you are, Debbie, so you are a music journalist?
1: Um, yeah, freelance.
0: Yeah, and you are... Am I right you're based in Manchester?
1: Uh, Near Manchester, kind of between Stockport and Glossop. Right. So in the Peak District, but it's like 40 minutes from Manchester and Sheffield, which is quite handy. So you
0: can go to either or... That is handy. That is handy. Uh, Because you don't have a Manchester or a Sheffield accent, I detect.
1: No, I'm from the northeast originally.
0: Cool. Um, And you dip into conversation with guests when you you do your live sessions, etc., around mental health, and you're very active on social media um so have we got that roughly right and could you just elaborate could you tell us a little bit more about who is debbie
1: blimey okay um so i my main role is i investigate motor injury claims with a specific focus on fraud so that's my day job i've been doing that for like 18 years um pre-lockdown i used to be um but uh, i used to do like a show on Gadio, which is the largest LGBT radio station in the UK. Um we'd do talk shows in the Manchester region weekdays, Monday, Thursday. And I used to do a uh, present in one of the shows uh once a fortnight. Um and the the music blog like journalist thing is a bit of an accident. So I used to go to so many gigs in Manchester, one of my mates was like, why don't you start like reviewing them? And I was like, what are you on about? It? No one's gonna read it. Um, but as I started reviewing the gigs and stuff um i thought you know what i'm just gonna keep going with this so i started interviewing bands and stuff um and um so i do reviews interviews um previews that kind of stuff and um around mental health awareness week last year it was a few weeks into lockdown or a few, i can't remember when it was now but essentially um i wanted to do something to mark the week because I knew a lot of people, my friends, were struggling, especially those who were in bands and stuff, you know, they weren't gigging. Mm. Like, their whole income had just been cut. And I thought it would be a good way to connect with them. It's just to have a discussion around mental health. Um, and I tried to, you know, come up with an idea for a name that would have a musical connotation, but also mental health one. So, like, I was bouncing ideas off my friend Haley Faye, who's in the Manchester band, Woman You Still. And um, we came up with Good Vibrations. And so that I give it that name and I do that. I do interviews most weeks. Um, some weeks you can't get guests. Um, you know, it's quite a big thing to come on a podcast as a musician and talk about your mental health journey. Um, but, you know, we, we, I had such a great reaction to the series during Mental Health Awareness Week that I didn't want it to end. It felt like it would be a real shame just to end it then. And, you know, as you guys know, um, talking about mental health, it's great when we have awareness days and awareness weeks and everything else. But beyond that, you know, people still have, you know, and suffer from health. So I wanted to continue the conversation just to make it an everyday thing. And like, you know, last night's conversation I did it with Erin from Nervous Twitch Leads And um I had people messaging me afterwards saying, Thank you so much for this. It's really important to have keep the conversations going beyond the weeks and they really resonated with that. So like yeah I think <laughs> um I also do a part-time care job as well so look after people who have complex care needs like um so they've had um physical um disabilities but sometimes brain injuries as well so like looking after them and that's every other weekend so it's been quite interesting though to to work with people like that because it gives you an appreciation for your own um self and you know the abilities that you have, but also like I've dealt with injury claims for 18 years and now I'm seeing the other side of it. So I don't know. It's given me, I think it's given me more compassion and more empathy, but also it's opened my mind up to like, like to how much we have going for us and how blessed our life is. And yeah, I mean, these people have taught me a lot about myself in the last few months. It's quite incredible, really. So yeah, that's, that's a
0: little bit of my life. (laughs) Do do you have any time to look after yourself in all this time? Do you you feel you need looking? It sounds like you spend an awful lot of your time looking out for other people. Yeah. Um,
1: I feel like I have burnt out over the last few months. Um, So um, I am dropping shifts with care now. Like I'm not doing it as frequently, you know, to give myself time. But, you know being a trans woman and like transitioning later in life, I understand that like, we have a finite number of moments, don't we? And like, whilst I don't have any regrets and, you know, having a transition till I was 39, I feel like I have a lot to live in as a shorter period than perhaps someone who wasn't trans would be because they'd, they'd look at their life as like, you know, being the whole, gen- the whole, um, span of their life as opposed to a shorter time. Um, so I just feel like I have so much lo- love, love, living and loving to do so like we have 24 hours in a day and why not fill it so like yeah i work Mm. seven and a half hours i want to sleep seven seven hours if i'm lucky that's 14 and a half hours like i've still got nine and a half hours to fill so you know an hour for eating and showering that's six and a half hours like
2: six and a half hours for netflix that is (laughs)
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I do. I do. I do chill. But like, you know, I'm learning the bass and stuff at the minute as well. So like, I don't know. I just. And the thing that I I am a a proud member of the LGBT community. But the thing I love about music is I feel that it transcends that even more so, you know, music has always been about Mm -hmm. community. It's about coming together and sharing a passion for something that transcends everything that transcends ethnicity gender sexuality gender identity socioeconomic background is bringing people together to appreciate something that you all love and uh, i think that's why i'm so drawn to it and you know having more of a focus on it in the last few years since i moved up to the um, northwest from bournemouth where i lived previously like it just yeah i don't know you say that like I do a lot, but actually, I feel like I don't do enough.
2: <laughs> Music means so much in that part of the in that part of the country as well, though, doesn't it? I, I've mm. found that in the time that I spend there, there's some something about Manchester, obviously with the bands that are well known, but you know the 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 cities and the and the spaces around there that mm. it it's it feels like it's so deeply ingrained as well. I imagine that it just is it becomes even more compulsive when you're Definitely. sort of surrounded by it.
1: It's a community as well. Like, you know yeah. in 2019 I was I think I saw over 240 acts. I was, some weeks I was going to three, four gigs a week. And like wow. not spending loads of money as well. Like, you know, you go to a pub and someone's playing or um you know you're paying six or seven t- quid a ticket. You know, so you you don't have to spend loads of money to go to a gig in Manchester or you didn't used to anyway, you know, um, I'm hoping a lot of the smaller venues do survive COVID and, and, you know, are there when we come out of lockdown, because to me, they're the best venues in Manchester. I mean, I've done the Academy and like Victoria Warehouse and stuff like that. And like whilst they're great, like, there's not as much personality and you feel like you have a connectivity to those who are around you, like the first 10 to 12, like, you know, 10 to 20 people. But when you're in a smaller venue, it's like, there's more of an emotional connection to the experience and the artist and the people around you that's lacking in the bigger venues, I think.
0: Yeah. It's quite spiritual. Spiritual is a really good way of putting it. I I think that, um, all kind of live entertainment is something I didn't realise I was going to miss it so much. It probably sounds daft coming from a, a, a musician, someone who does a lot of live performing. But I think um, at the start of the pandemic, I was in a position where I was I was leaving a job. I wasn't quite sure where music was going to play into things for me. I was happy to take a break. Things have moved on enough that, you know, I I now cannot wait to get back on the stage, but well, aside from all of that is I just want to go and watch some, some bands and some comedy as well. The idea of going Mm. and being in a place and sharing an experience with other human beings who are, um, singing along to the same thing as me or laughing at the same jokes as I am, as opposed to, you know, the TV, um, we're all watching. We're all out of sync with each other's Netflix habits and things like that these days. We we talk Liam and I have talked loads of times on and off on the show about um, the 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 lack of shared uh, experience because you know music and TV and things like that. There's so much choice now. We very rarely experience the same thing. So I'm really really missing live entertainment of all kinds. I I, um, mm-hmm. I can remember. It hasn't happened for a really long time now but in Bath we have we used to have something called Walcott Nation Day and it was when one- oh yeah that was quality it was great it was when one one particular street in Bath it has a couple of pubs on it the whole street was closed for a day I've got no idea why or who started it but essentially um, the the whole street was given a drinks license for the day and was allowed to play live music and you could walk the whole length. It's quite a long when I say street, it's not a short bit of space. It's quite a good length of bath. And um there would be live music going on inside, outside, people have dragged their speakers to the windows and were blaring it out. It was essentially a music festival. And you're allowed to to walk out of that pub there and into that pub there like you're in a in a studio. I hadn't thought about it for ages until I realised I really missed that sort of thing. Just you know, just mm. being able to be in a place with lots of people there's time, times in my life when I really want to get away from crowds and I've become quite introverted but obviously we're, we're so starved of that at the moment I think the idea that it, it's quite spiritual some of these places I I really see that totally agree it's interesting as well because when you're like you know when you, you know a little bit about
1: psychology and stuff and like you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs like once you've met the most basic needs like food shelter the next thing beyond that is connection and connectivity and c- community. And like, whilst a lot of us are lucky that we're able to be in our homes and have this technology to stay in touch with each other, that that shared social experience is what's lacking. Hmm. So like, it, it's, it's no wonder that some of us are struggling.
0: Absolutely. And I, when I spoke to you recently, Debbie, on your uh, social media channels, and I'll make sure the links go in the show notes as well, so Thank people you. can find you at Dreaming is Free. Um, we were also talking about hugging, and yeah. you know we're, we're huggers. And you, there's people in your life that you're really missing right now.
1: God, yeah. Um, I haven't seen my daughter since August, and I haven't seen my. Uh, I say fiance there. <laughs> Oops. I haven't seen my girlfriend since um, February, right? Last year. That's a long so, time, yeah.
0: right?
1: It's a long, long time. Yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, it is what it is and with
1: international travel you know she lives in malta so with international travel looking like we don't know when we're going to be doing it basically um one good thing though i've got my second vaccine um next week i just got the tech through today so um and she's had both her vaccines as well because she's a key worker so um yeah at least the that um elements will have been you know taken care of once they do open borders and everything but like if you look at mainland Europe currently and the infection rates and everything else
0: it's like you almost are scared to go abroad. A friend of mine was um, recently, uh, well a few months ago uh, w- had been living in America uh, or staying in America for some time and met someone, fell in love, they got married and the next day she had to fly home and at that point in time he was not able to to come over and I don't know if it's been resolved now because they are a married couple, which I think brings around more allowance around people being able to travel. But there was months where literally after, after being married, they weren't able to, to be together. It must be very difficult for, for everyone. I, I have a friend who's been separated from his family. He lives in New York and his mum passed away last year and he was able to come over for it. It's very strange. He, he showed me pictures of himself on a, on a plane. And there was no one else on the plane. He was the only passenger on the whole plane. And he was able to be here. Um, But unfortunately he wasn't here at the moment when his his mum passed. Maybe he wouldn't have been there anyway, you don't know. But this distance, you know, that we live in a world that's where it's so easy to travel and to be Mm. connected to people from far away places that suddenly to have that, the ability to connect with them, it's like having the rug pulled out from under you isn't it i guess so you you must be really really feeling that right now i really feel for you
2: it's probably one of the things that's not like talked about quite a lot actually isn't it with the like pandemic as a whole that we have become quite accustomed to this idea that like everywhere is quite accessible you can get places wherever you like where you can't or whenever you like when you can't we've got all of these like you know mediums like this where we where we're meant to be kind of super connected with one another but actually it's probably or certainly in in, within any of our lifetimes the most uh the the kind of biggest period of isolation that we would have seen Mm -hmm. in terms of that physical separation from people um that and that's like it's that's got to have a massive impact on on everybody hasn't it
1: i think so i mean if you, if you look at um you know prisons they use um solitary confinement as punishment because it's like yeah. it's one of the worst things you can do to someone and like a lot of us are living that and you know we're not given i think with quite often we're too hard on ourselves for like not achieving the the level of productivity that we deem that we should be achieving or for not being as upbeat or happy as we perceive that we should be. We've gone through a lot in the last 12 months and like some of us are still going through it. And I think sometimes we need to take a step back and like give ourselves a pat on the back, of, like how much we've gone through and we're still, you know,
2: here functioning mm. Absolutely. That solitary confinement thing—that's blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's absolutely bang on, isn't it? That's like the ultimate form of punishment. When you're already being punished and put in prison, yeah. that's like not—that's not taken lightly at all. So actually, to have had a version of that—is mm. um, yeah, it's that's that's mad.
1: Yeah, that is. I'm not trying to bomb anyone out, you know. I just want, I just want people to, like, to, to to kind of give themselves a break. Give themselves a break, you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely that's bang on, though, isn't it? As well, that it's not, it's not about. I mean, that's what I think is probably a co- bit of a common theme for us, Tom, isn't it? With the things that like we've discussed, and by having more of those conversations, that like the nature of them is, you know, is about can be about quite depressive things, but actually. The by talking about them and having that acknowledgement of them gives you some of that, gives you some of that kind of almost like a sense of ownership over it. That it's like, actually, this is like, this is something that I am going through and other people are going through, and that we have, we are, it's not a great experience, but it's a shared experience, and that we can get something out of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, if the, the first time that we ever chatted, Liam, we, and I've referred to it many, many times now as the the strangest blind date that I've ever been on. (laughs) (laughs) We were encouraged to to go and have a a coffee together because we'd both been struggling a little bit with, with depression around that time. And I think that I'd, I'd like to say for both of us, I think it was pretty brave of us both to, to, you know, two grown men to go and talk to another grown man who's a stranger about his um, depression. I, I, I,
2: in a public space as well.
0: <laughs> in a public space, yeah. And I realise I'm playing to all the stereotypes here, but deliberately so, because, you know, this is, this is not something that's perhaps common, it is for, you know, for two, two guys to be set up to go and have a conversation like that. But I think we both found the conversation around... That started with depression. We found we, we had lots of things in common. The funniest thing is how much we actually have in common we had no idea about when we first started chatting. But... There's never been a time when we've chatted that we haven't laughed. And I think for every single show that we've done so far, when we've talked to other people, even when we've gone to some really dark places, there has always been laughter. And I think that's, I mean, that we started the show to encourage people to talk more about mm. the difficult things because when you, t- you know, if you're constantly running away from something, it becomes a ball and chain that's constantly being dragged behind you. You know, you're never going to get away from it. It's always there. But if you kind of turn around and go, okay, all right, let's, let's talk then. Let's, let's get this out. Let's talk about the hard stuff. More often than not, it's less scary than you think. And you, you know, we, we end up having some, some laughs around it. I remember particularly um, uh, one of, one of the shows that could have been particularly tough, was talking to Ben Akers, who's the founder of, or one of the founders of Talk Club, the um, men's counseling group around the country. And we we laughed and we talked. I think we, it was almost two hours by the time we finished. We didn't record all of it, but we just, we just couldn't stop talking. We picked the most depressing. We were talking about the sad loss of his friend who'd taken his life and how suicide mm. kills um, you know it's the biggest killer of men under fifty, um, or, or certainly was at the time. I haven't checked the stats lately, but you know it's a biggie. And it was one of the most um, enjoyable, yeah, I will say enjoyable conversations I'd had for a while because we weren't just talking about all the sad things. Because you talk about ways to cope and how to feel better, and you know how are you getting through it? What are you doing to cheer your mates up? How are you taking control? So you know these conversations are. are Good. Well, I'm enjoying them. That's and Liam's enjoying them. That's why we still have a show, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good for someone as well. Like, obviously, I listened to a few of the. I said to Tom, didn't I? The last time we spoke last week, um, that I'd listened to season two, and like for me, I felt like I was just listening. Like, I felt like I was at a pub and two mates were having a conversation, and I was just sitting there, like with you guys, but not actually contributing if you know what i mean so like it, it it was really you know really down to earth um and yeah there was a lot that i could draw from the conversations that you guys were having so like that i could relate to so like it's it's a beautiful thing and like you never know the impact that you have on someone in sharing this mm. kind of stuff and like i think the transgender community specifically are being attacked from a lot of mainstream media at the moment as well so there are a lot of trans people who are suffering enough, you know, irrespective of lockdown and COVID and not seeing their friends and stuff. Like it's almost like there's a deliberate attempt to erode community and like to to take away the rights that we've had for years without any impact on any other people anyway. But yeah, so it's I think it's really good where I was going with this. this is good to talk about this stuff definitely because even if you can't resolve it lessens the burden within you or you 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 make more sense of it by talking about it do you find that
2: yeah i think so definitely that you can find some you can you can i mean sometimes just talking it out enables you to to make sense of it or give it a bit of a like as you're telling it as a story it kind of gives it sometimes gives things a linear uh sort of timeline that enables you to see a beginning and middle and hopefully then an end to it or a way out of it. Even if you're not at the end, you can see that you are on a journey with those things. So I think for me personally, that, that, that makes it quite helpful. Um, and, and then also, you know, sometimes just having that, that, putting it on another scale as well, when you have a conversation with somebody else, um, about what that you know what they're going through and their shared experience is really helpful as well because you can see oh it maybe it isn't just me, or it, it contextualises it in a different way as well. Which um, yeah, for me is is always kind of helpful to to try and I suppose keep, maybe keep me grounded with it sometimes. Mm. Which it, I, I kind of sometimes say these things and I'm like especially when I think about, I'm in specific relation to my depression that like, like, is that good to be grounded with it? And like, it almost makes it sometimes sound like it's a part of it, like accepting it. But I do feel like there is an element of like kind of embrace, embracing the person that you are. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's something that's taken me a long time to come to terms with that. Um, and I, I imagine that's something that I know you spoke earlier on at the sort of at the as we were starting, Debbie, about your um, your journey and coming to where you are now at a later age. Is that is is that kind of a similar thing as to like how you embrace the the person that you want to be, or not necessarily the person that you want to be, the person that you are? it's a really
1: good question and the way that you've put it like is really eloquent as
2: well. Yes, absolutely. Um, if oh, thank you're look you. At- I thought I was going to have to re explain that about 20 times. I was sure I'd, uh, <laughs> no. i it on God. No. Um,
1: <laughs> I, if I look at my personality pre and post transition, so like pre transition like while I was still the same, you know, good I'll going person, some of the time, a lot of the time I was angry. Um, you know, short-tempered, um, quite depressed, and I'm I'm not going to say it was a flick a flick of a switch. I mean, it's called transition. It's not called switch. You know, you you you're evolving constantly. I think even even as a person who is, mm. is transgender, we're constantly learning who we are and you know what the boundaries of our personalities are and our behaviors and everything else. But I certainly think that since I've transitioned, like I'm far calmer and happier and less self-deprecating i mean i still have self-esteem issues and you know do help out of depression but nowhere near as bad as it used to be like honestly and because i feel like i'm more fulfilled and i'm not wishing i'm something i'm not i feel i have more to contribute to society and to people and like to me the whole meaning of life it's it's not about like how much money you have or the size of your house or your car is or anything else it's about the impact that you have on people's lives and whether you stay in that person's life for a minute while you buy something in a shop, or you have, they're your friend for ten to twenty years, you know, the impact is the same. It's, it's it's about being the best version of yourself in that in that interaction. And I just feel that I am far more able to be that you know, the, the best version of yourself that, that everyone wants to portray to the world because I'm no longer angry, I'm no longer wishing I was something I wasn't and I'm you know, I'm no longer if I can say it, pissed off with the world, you know. That's I'm not saying I'm completely zen because I'm not, but you know, I'm far more zen than
0: I was. <laughs> Don't trust anybody who says they are, frankly. That's, <laughs> that's just not. That's just not not real, is it? I think that's amazing that he say that, Debbie. We we talk uh, uh, last time we chatted we yeah. a lot about how um. The importance of being true to yourself but i think it takes a lot of us a very long time to maybe work out what that is and it can be in lots of different forms whether it's the uh, the career that you're doing or the you know the the way that you present yourself in the world or the people that you want to spend your time with or, or whatever it might be i think it can take quite a long time to work it out and then just you know making those changes can also be really difficult because there's a lot of pressure on people to behave and act in a certain way. Um you mentioned earlier about transitioning um at 39 did you say? Yeah uh, yeah yeah and I was thinking about how age has really really been on my mind a lot the last few years and it's it's <laughs> I'm 37 and I've um there's days when I think God, I'm so lucky I'm 37 I've got so much time to do so many things there's also a lot of days when I feel like oh I'm 37 like I've what, what did I do with that bit of my life and you know and it's it's really difficult to to find challenges there I think the best answer is to find some make friends with people who are quite a bit older than you
2: who are really
0: fun yeah, there we go. So you've already seen that one coming, Lynn.
2: Uh
0: <laughs> Are we about? I think we're about the same age, aren't we?
2: I'm forty-one. You're forty-one, actually. I yeah. I should. I oh, know. I don't look a day over twenty-five, but um, well, how about that? Well,
0: uh, I too. Have, I've got some white hairs coming through my beard now, which is a bit of a change. But I, I keep thinking how, um, every day is a new day and every day is a chance to wake up and be the person you want to be that day and more and more I'm trying to remind myself that what happened yesterday is yesterday you know time goes forwards not backwards and we don't know how much we might have absolutely decades and decades and decades ahead of us likewise we might not because you don't know what things might be coming around the corner but both of those whether it's no time left, or loads of time left, they're equally good reasons to to get honest with yourself about what you you know who you want to be, and then start making steps towards it. You know if you, if you feel that that's something you that's something you can. You did say um, you have had some difficulties in relationships with people, Debbie. If you don't mind me uh, referencing that uh, upon transitioning. Um, is that something you're comfortable talking about a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll draw from the happiness bit in a little in a little bit when I'm explaining it. So, like, you know, me not visiting my transition until I was 39. Like, um, I've done everything my whole life to try and be something I'm not. You know, growing up in the 70s, and like, I was born in 1973, so like I'm 48. Um, and you know, I grew up in a in a in a time where you know, any LGBT people in who were out were generally the the subject of, like, ridicule. You look at John Inman and, like, oh, you've been served. Those kind of people like, you know, Danny LaRue. If you were if you were in the entertainment business, you were ridiculed. Or, like, you know, you just didn't come out of the closet because, you know, society wasn't, you know, that acceptable. And then if you look mm-hmm. at, like, my, my school years, you had Section 28 and, like, Thatcher, or, like, the, the Conservative government, and, like, you can't promote LGBT, um, you know education in schools and that kind of stuff there wasn't the internet so like i always felt shame and i felt like i had to hide who i was and like i did what i joined the army straight from school because i figured that's going to stop these feelings i i do not want to be a trans woman i seriously if if you could say to me you flick a switch and you'll never have these feelings i'd rather not have these feelings because why why would you want to go against and like make your life hell like make people judge you. Strangers who've never met you would like want to call your names and be horrible towards you. And you're like my family have rejected me. It's like I've got one my, my cousin's daughter is the only person in the family who talks to me, who I have regular contact with. The rest of them, so brother and sister have just said, well, my brothers are strange, just haven't heard from him for years. And my sister, she said to me, Don't call me again unless you're a man. So I haven't, because I'm not. Um, my mom it was a bit of a strange one. Cause when I first told her, like there was a lot of tears and stuff, she goes, well, I love you. You know, you're still my child. And then as the weeks progressed, she's like, I can't, I can't accept you. Like, don't turn up here like that, that kind of stuff. But it's, it's really interesting, you know, because some of the things that she said to me in the conversations that I've had since I've tried to reconnect with her every now and again, because you know, my dad died um, when he was 57 of um, mesolithioma. So it was asbestos related lung cancer. And that was in 2008. And that was when I started to look, at my life where it was going what i was doing etc um and where was it going with this okay so like my mom has has learned what it's like to lose someone really close to you and um i think she's grieving for her son and i understand that to a degree but like we were having a conversation she goes do you know what what no matter what you've done you've never been happy and i was waiting for her to say are you happy now and that you know that the the two didn't like, I don't know that the two didn't connect in her brain, and it just it really threw me. And I thought, well, you know, if you say you you're not gonna open the door, if we wanna go there. And like she, one of the last conversations I had with her Tom, like I I, I used to try and reconnect with her every three or four months because one I wanna know that she's still alive. You know, she's got type one diabetes, high blood pressure, um, she smokes, so like it's not a great combination. And um. She said, "Oh, don't bother turning up my funeral." And I said, "What?" She goes, "Don't bother turning up my funeral." I goes, "Do you know what? I'm going to go before I say something I'll regret." I was just like, "To for your own mother to say something like that," I was just baffled, disappointed, and like, you know, I'd tried and tried and tried and tried, and like, but I have forgiven her in the same breath because, you know, holding on to that pain and and you know, it's just going to hurt me not her so you you've you've got to let it go because if you don't you'll go insane
0: thank you for for sharing um what is obviously something that's been incredibly difficult
1: you feel guilty talking about it as well because like she's my mom and like there's that feeling of like you want to protect her but like it's such a difficult one
0: I think, I I mean, geez, I I can't, I haven't stepped into your particular shoes, Debbie, but on the subject of, um, you always want to protect, even when, when you have something going on that's very difficult, where you and someone that you love see things very eye to eye, you mm-hmm. always will feel that need to protect them. But you do have to be able to live your own life as well. And that usually means being able to talk about your challenges, you know. So I, I think that, you're absolutely, you know, you should be absolutely comfortable to be able to, mm. um, you know, to talk about these things, but I appreciate that must be, that must still feel very conflicting for you. It's still it's, incredibly difficult. It is. I mean, it's only in the last couple of months that,
1: well, say six to 12 months that I've kind of, I've let go of the anger. Um, so basically there was a lot of people on social media, um kind of summertime last year maybe like May May June time we're doing this um Deepak Chopra 21 day meditation challenge in groups and my mate um who I worked with a few years ago she put a shout on like is anyone interested in doing this challenge with like me and a a group of other women it's like yeah so 21 day challenge had a WhatsApp group and each day you have a meditation and a set of tasks to do either before or after see if you'd have a book and you'd write exercise you write some thoughts down whatever and on one of the days it was about mother and as soon as like we got because she used to send us the things on the morning of the of the day of the we were supposed to do it and i saw it come up in my group and i was like oh no no and i thought you know what i am going to do it so um it was asking us to think about the relationship that we had with our mother and like the things that like I think it was a sacrifice she's made or something like that. But anyway, I was just sitting there meditating and thinking about this stuff. And like, you know, when you look at it from her perspective, she had me when she was 18. Um, she was three months pregnant when she got married to my dad at 18. So, you know, she could have chosen to have an abortion and she didn't. Um, and, you know, I can't imagine being a parent at 18. My dad my dad was 21. She was 18. Obviously, in the 70s, you know, you know people did get married a bit younger than they do now. Um, and I just, whatever anger was in me it just left me during that meditation. And I just, I just, I was crying as I was meditating. I was, it was, it, but it just, it felt like a weight had been lifted. Like,
2: mm.
1: yes, I don't know if we'll ever repair the relationship, but in the same breath, like I, I can't hold on to, to anger and be a productive person and, and you know, fulfill the things that I need to fulfill in my journey by holding on to anger. So like, it it was quite cathartic in a way,
2: but I just let it go. And it's way it's wow. way easier that, said than done, isn't it?
1: God, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> definitely. <laughs> The Meditation sounds like it was a, a really clearly your experience of it was really powerful, but it sounds like it was a really good um program that you you got. Did you say you it was you and some friends went through this? Yeah, was, thing?
1: yeah, there was a WhatsApp group. I think there's about 15 of us in it, and like at, you know, at varying points during the day, we'd all share like how we how we felt and like what we'd learned about ourselves and stuff, and like it's that whole thing about community that we were talking about earlier that shared experience and it felt really special because we were all doing the same thing at probably more or less the same time and like you know i was working from home at the time and i was in like i was in a like two up two down cottage because that's the, the place i was renting a room in at the time and i was in a single bed like quite a small room and working and um sleeping you know in that small room and I don't know. I just I just felt like my whole world just opened up a bit more. Like it was less intense, you know. And to like to have to meditate for 21 days, it's quite a big commitment to do it every day. But like that, you know, it couldn't have come at a better time. You think about it. You're like, you're, you're isolated. You're missing. You're missing like your your only um, outlet for stress, like you live music. You're not going to work. You know you're missing live music you're missing your friends you're missing your family you're missing your partner like it was good to have another focus that was external to everything and that made me look at elements of my life that i hadn't visited previously or you know we do that as humans don't we We do compartmentalize so if something hurts us we'll put it away and we'll not deal with it because we know it brings us pain like and i'll give you another example of this so um when i first transitioned i was really struggling and i had um I was in a really stressful housing situation and I started to have bulimia um, and it got quite addictive because if there's, you know, if there's one thing you can't control, like is how much food you put in your body. And like, it was only when I sought out the help of a therapist that I got over it. Um, but I, when I joined Gadeo, um, the reason I joined is they put a shout out on social media. They were doing a project for LGBT mental health and they were gonna do a documentary um from this project and there was about 10 um 10 or 12 that went to the first meeting and the that like you know people come and go when they hear what it's actually about and there was about there was um six of us six yeah six of us and um when we were brainstorming about what we we're going to do our documentaries about i said well i could do one about eating disorders because it's something that i've suffered with and um so um emma Goswell, who's um a presenter on radio and bbc radio manchester she ran this the course for, with us and she's like, well, we've never done that before. So yeah, we'll do that. Um if you if you're comfortable with that. And I thought I would be. And then as I started revisiting, you know, the the experiences of what it was like to have an eating disorder, all these feelings like came to the surface again. Um, but you know, it's because I'd put them away and not dealt with them since I'd had the therapy, you know, to help me get through this process, through what I was going through. And, you know, it's part of the documentary I had to, I spoke to beat who are the mental health charity that helps support people who've had um, eating disorders. And I spoke to a guy um, who was um, he was in a documentary on channel five because he'd had like every single eating disorder going and it was really interesting that that shared experience with him and he said something to me that has impacted me massively like and and it's helped me with every single mental health conversation I've had with good vibrations since he says to me well you never get over it do you like and it, it, it blew my mind and I was like oh my god like, yeah, you know, when you've had a mental health condition, whatever it is, like it's with you. Mm-hmm. Like, you might not like have any symptoms or like. And I just, I don't know. It felt like something was released. I mean, that was a really good documentary to be involved in. But like, mm-hmm. the reason I'm related to to it, I refer to it in the conversation, is because as humans, we're really good at putting things away we don't want to deal with.
0: So true. So true. And calling these things out and, and accepting them it does mean that they they become part of you but you can't deal with the problem until you know its name, can you? No. So
1: definitely. No, that's true. Definitely not uh,
0: so I wonder um, Debbie for you what are you most looking forward to and I know what some of your answers are likely to be um, but could you tell (laughs) us some of the things that you're really looking forward to when things go back to normal
1: see my little girl like she was always a daddy's girl and she still she still calls me dad because I am her dad Um, she's 16 and she's supposed to be taking her exams this summer but obviously that's not happening Mm. Um, I know from you know a few of the conversations i've had with her mother she's really struggling at the moment um i'm really looking forward to hugging her i miss her a lot i'm looking forward to seeing my partner um i just want to see my mates i want to be at a gig in manchester and see like um like my mate who trust the fox you know the photographer like or like see see people who i see at other gigs and stuff i want to go back on the radio i just want to hug my friends like just it's really weird I, I miss hugs so much like I'm sure the first hug proper hug I'm just going to burst into tears <laughs> you know and I, I think Definitely. that I'll never miss up the opportunity to go to a gig again like sometimes I've had tickets for stuff and I'm like oh I can't be bothered or like you know yeah I, I don't think I'll ever miss up an opportunity again I mean, you say that, but, like, you know, in 10 years, time will be a night when you can't be bothered the gig's done, like, oh, I'll not go. But, like, I, I don't know. I think I will be more more embracing of opportunities and less judgmental of myself. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to the most, I think. What about you, Tom?
0: Um, oh, is doing some gigs for me. Uh, is it, Well, I, I think, I mean, you've already ticked a bunch of my boxes there, Debbie. I am missing... I miss my mates, and I don't mean via Zoom calls and things. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, sitting at the other end of the bench. I mean, just like you, I want to I want to hug a serious amount of people um, when I get out there. But uh, and and do you know what? The simple stuff. I'm I'm looking forward to going and sitting wherever I want in a coffee shop or a bar. Uh, in in uh, Clothes that i put on because I'm going to be seen that day by people, Some, something that I've really struggled with this. I've got a pretty healthy ego on me. Um, and I do like to, to dress what I perceive as nice. Um, not that you perhaps would tell, um, but I'd like to go out and express myself and, you know, just be me in, in public spaces mm-hmm. and, and experience other people being them. I really, really miss that. And being on stage and doing some gigs. In fact, Liam and I uh, fairly recently started, uh, we were asked to join a band and the band exists. We have social media pages and things and we've never played together. So that's something I'm looking forward to. That'd be cool. I want to be in a band. Well, you should do that. You
1: should. Yeah, that's absolutely. You should I mean, my um... bass... that's the next step for me basically
0: definitely you should and Liam how about you what are you most looking forward to
2: I think well yeah I mean all all those good things that that you said and seeing family and seeing friends and, and, and seeing people and spending time with people in person just like those lazy days where you just sort of go out and end up staying out all day but not with any kind of particular plan and you just whoever you bump into you just you know you know what it's like uh, just those kind of normal things going out dancing somewhere would be wicked I, uh, I can't wait to go and you know next time there's a Craig Charles Funk and Soul show on somewhere just go and bust a groove and just have a damn good time with people around you like it's not it's it it it's that old saying, isn't it? It's not where you are, it's who you're with. But, but it definitely some of that is a little bit about where you are. But if you're surrounded by the right type of people, it doesn't even necessarily need to be people you know and people you're mates with, but people that are there to have a good time as well. It's you can just get lost. I can just get lost in that. So, yeah, that's 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 what I'd be looking forward to. And having a holiday, Being in Nepal. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the part I, I don't do it as much anymore because I'm, you know, not, not like in my twenties. I lived in the pub, I was in the pub every fucking day. But don't do that anymore to the same extent. But I do miss it. I do love going to the pub. There's not having a can of Guinness at home is not the same as having a pint of Guinness in the pub. God and yeah, being in a restaurant like just eating.
1: Eating and like yeah, looking like- at other people, like when they're around, like,
0: mm.
1: you know, seeing other people is definitely a, a social experience as well. Like, it just raises your serotonin, it just makes you feel happy.
0: Mm. Yeah. Going to a place where someone else is going to cook for me is, I like. Obviously, we know that going to a restaurant is supposed to be a nice thing, but it's never been so significant as it feels right now to go to a place where mm. before I leave the house, I don't even know what I'm going to have for dinner. And when I get there, I'm going to have a choice of different things and then someone else is going to cook it for me and bring it to me and they're going to wash up after me because that's, that's how it works. <laughs> and wow, we'll Wash it well, up.
2: I think look, the point that you said Debbie it's it's not just the like the going out it's everything that goes on around you isn't it like I've I haven't done it for ages because I haven't needed to but I had a I've got a playlist on Spotify that's just songs that I shazammed when I've been out and about and I've heard some amazing tunes in restaurants and pubs and in shops and all sorts of random places where they're songs I probably never would have I never would have heard with the way that music works now and everything's based on algorithms or like the odd times that I listen to a radio station and it's probably playing the same sorts of music that I would normally listen mm. to. So like all of those sort of random introductions that you'd get to things that's like those opportunities just, they they are still there, but it's not, it's not in the kind of organic fashion that it would be normally. You've got to seek them out.
1: Yeah. Good point, actually.
2: Yeah, so, and like, yeah, you know, yeah, when you, you go and watch a band and the support band are better than the band that you see and you never heard of them, and you're like, wow, or oh, they've got one song, yeah, everything else is rubbish, but they have one song that's amazing that you just just blows you away. I always get there
1: for support acts. Like you said, like, there's two that springs to mind, and that's not saying that these guys were better than the main acts, but like I went to see um, Wen Young um, in 2018, it was, And they had uh, the ninth, no, two, see, I've lost years. I think it's 2019, actually, early 2019. And the ninth wave was supporting them. And they came on stage, and I was like, what on earth? I was absolutely blown away. I was like, no. And then um, Seagulls are like, I like Seagulls. I've seen them, I saw them four times in 2019. And like the the fourth time I saw them, they had. the mysteries supporting them and like they started and i was like who the fuck is this like, mm-hmm. the guitar started in her voice i was just like mm-hmm. oh my
0: god like i had goosebumps so like yeah oh. absolutely 100 well we should we should probably look to wrap things up debbie this is a, a huge pressure i'm about to pile onto your shoulders do you have any thoughts that you would like to share words of advice perhaps for Someone who feels they haven't really found or committed to the person that they want to be, mm-hmm. what would your message be to them?
1: I would, uh, this is going to sound a bit morbid, but bear with me. I would say on your deathbed, like when you look back at your life, who would you want to have lived your life for? Do you want to have lived it for everyone else? Or do you want to live it for yourself? I don't know what answer I would want to give. Like, in, the, the most happy I have been, irrespective of all the amazing things that pre-transition have been in my transition like i'm a far happier more fulfilled version of myself and surely that's the point of life isn't it to experience it to its fullest to be the 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 best version of yourself you can be brilliant i mean that's perfect isn't it yeah i think so thank you (laughs) i feel like we've discussed loads but we've discussed nothing as well do you know what i mean
0: it always feels a little bit like that that's that's fine I think <laughs> oh, De- Debbie, seriously De- thank you for um I'm not shutting down the conversation but I just wanted to say thank you so much no, for no. being so open with us it's been yeah. it has been really 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 uh touching to hear your story some of the the things that you've you've been through with, with family members and things really really feel for you but you're obviously being hugely brave and well done for flying the flag for people and you know getting out there on your social media and and talking openly with people it's it's amazing what you do thank you
1: it's a lot tom i think you know there's a lot of people out there willing to shout the trans community down or just to be evil about people who have mental health issues and I like, you know what we're like a, we're like the rest of you we just want to be accepted or at least um not be discounted because we're different never thought of it that way before until
2: just now, but yeah, mm. I, th- I think one of the things wow. that, that's like quite um, an eye opener as well, and it's probably like it's my own, maybe my own uh, naivety or or kind of lack of exposure um, to, or the probably the lack of diversity in in my life and the people that surround me, is that you know I've I would at least like to think that I've got. A decent awareness, and consider myself as a, you know, trans ally, anti-racist, all of those sort of things that we would hope that the, that everybody is really. But you don't, when you don't necessarily put the kind of two and two together that you've got all of the um, all of the things that you talked about t- today. Um, you know, when they say like they you know, really like fucking awful situation frankly that you've that, that, that you've got with your family that sounds which just sounds devastating but alongside that you've got those you know your mental the, the mental health side of things as well the physical Im- impact and elements of things that it's it's not just a, it's not just as simple as that journey that you go through and, and making that transition it's that actually there's all this whole wave of other things and life just the general mm. surviving, getting through the day to um, day that makes it like makes everybody unique and your own journey your own but it, it's, it's the weight of that is like it's incredible it's incredible that people find the energy to to do it and get through it, I think that's you know it's, it's remarkable and you should be so, so proud of yourself and where you've got to and that you can really you know talk openly and honestly about it I mean that's I know you said it you don't want to talk uh, no one would probably want to talk be talking about family members like you, you have to but you do have to because mm. that's their hang up that ain't yours and you're absolutely right I think you 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 know for all for all of us you, you, we've got to sometimes break away from that and I but like I said it's easier said than done isn't it which you know we all know yeah. I think from,
1: from a societal point of view, and if you if you look at, like, homo sapiens, like, if we were ostracized from our tribe, we wouldn't survive. Yeah. And, like, obviously, because we're living in the 21st century, we have, the, the you know, far more technologies and comfort and things that, you know, kind of negate any ostracization from our tribe, but it still hurts. You know, the friends that I have are far more close than any of my family, other than, you know, my one, um, Becky, who's my my cousin's um daughter um you know we've become really close over the last few weeks um my um my cousin who is three she's just under three months younger younger than me like she died um in february it wasn't COVID related but um yeah like i was really shocked and like she she was accepting of me but like yeah her daughter like like we've become friends since then and like you know it's it's quite interesting. Like you, someone can be in your life for two months and be more supportive and kinder to you than someone who's known you your whole life. And I think that's really fucking sad. I think we have to look beyond our prejudices and look at the humanity of someone. Like if someone is a really abhorrent person, say like Ted Bundy or Jimmy Savile, and I'm sorry to go there, but like they fuck yeah, get rid of them. Like I'm a good person. All I all I all I'm doing is is trying to make me happy rather than everyone else around me that's that's what i was saying about like any life who you're gonna what you're gonna do do you want to look back and think i wish i'd done this like a night or do you want to like you know think anything like i kick back now and i think fucking hell i can't believe i've done this honestly i will catch myself some mornings in the mirror and i cry not because i'm sad but because i'm happy i still can't believe i've done this like (laughs) I, I I swear something's going to wake up and it's going to be a dream like Dallas like like Bobby Ewing when he had he got killed for a whole season and then he came back and like fans were like going up uproar because like the whole last season had been wiped out. But well,
2: like, you're really it's... showing your age here now, Debbie. <laughs> We've never heard of Dallas. Yeah, i 48. <laughs> it was, it was, like a dream, like a a,
1: a a most wonderful dream, and I don't want it to end. But like, yeah, my life is amazing, even though we're in lockdown, and you know. Not doing the things that I want to do and seeing the people I love. Like I myself, and there is something so magical in that. Like I'm no longer wishing I'm something I wasn't. That's so fucking powerful.
2: Yeah. And well, freeing
1: when you spend most of your life the other way. That's that's yeah, inspirational,
0: yeah. Debbie. Is what it is. That make that mm. makes me want to get out of here and think, what's the most me stuff I can do? You know, what what's what mm. can make me? I I feel like I'm constantly on a journey to to find to discover more of me. Well how can I be more me? How can I get more happy with myself and 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 you're blazing a
2: trail. Yeah. That's that's awesome.
1: And a world is full of filters as well. Like we're so used to like editing ourselves and like not showing everyone our true self. Like I think it's quite refreshing just to be yourself. And like the next time you want to do something Tom and like you think uh, but what, what 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 will that person say or that person think? I mean, obviously within the realms of morality and you know, decency, like why 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 do we do it? Why do we filter like ourselves? Why do we stop like <laughs> if you wanna dance if you wanna dance in the middle of the fucking, you know, the high street when you know, when lockdown was over and like dance in the middle of the fucking high street, who cares? Like mm. it's your life, you've got to do what makes you happy. We we, we too many of us live our lives and filter it through fear of judgment from other people like yeah. when you go to bed at night they're not there like with you like they're not they're not with your thoughts they're not like you know paying your bills or whatever like so just pay in your mind i'd much rather be happy with myself than be unhappy like trying to make others happy
2: i've gone from crying half an hour ago to like having a proper grin on because that's just amazing <laughs> i think like, that's like you know that yeah that's that's great, and I I think I probably have one more question really, if it's alright, don't mind. Yeah, and it's just like what what can people are there are there practical things? Are there like things that we can do, or that that people in general can do that that are helpful when someone is in that process of transitioning?
1: Um, treat them like a person. You know, it's. Uh,
2: I, one of the things that I've kind of
1: moved away from in the last kind of 12, 12 months is like just telling people I'm trans. Like, it's, you know what, I'm vegan, I'm right-handed, I'm a qualified chef because I used to be a chef. Like, you know, there are so many things that are the makeup that of the DNA that is Debbie. And like, yes, I'm a trans woman, but I'm, I'm more than that. And I just, you know, rather than like focus on the fascination of there being trans or you know what their what their former name was or if they've had surgery any of those things that like people tend to go with as soon as they find out you're trans like deal with the person in front of you not their situation like if if I don't know say it's really hard to kind of draw to think of of an appropriate comparison like say someone found out that you were into BDSM right, and you were in it you just met them and you' are in a conversation and it, it, it like you had a pin badge or something like if they started you asking you questions about your practice and how many partners you'd had and like what positions they're like and stuff you think well hang on a minute this is really appropriate mm. like you with a person in a social situation that's in front of you like rather than having this kind of macabre, like inappropriate interest on what the person's journey has been or i mean if they want to share it, then that you know that's another kettle of fish. But like if if they, you know, if you're in a like social situation and you just meet someone who's trans, like say you at a gig and you are seeing a band or whatever and you like you realise someone's trans. Talk about the band. Don't talk about the fact that they're trans. You know, it's like it's you know, it's just it's kind we, we all need to practice a bit more compassion and kindness for each other and realize that, you know, like like you were saying earlier Tom, like it's it's like it's a journey, isn't it? And like yeah, it, each element of a journey makes a person that's in front of you not not just one specific thing. Mm. I think there's a there's a fascination with trying to people. I get I understand that, but like, we're
2: more than our gender identity. Mm. Yeah. Partly behind my my question, I suppose, was that, that where I work, I work with a black like, hole array of people, and um, there is something that started, but probably like in the last year or so uh or maybe eight maybe slightly longer 18 months or so is um at the beginning of meetings where quite often lots of people don't know one another that when you go around and do introductions you, you probably have, have experienced this both yourself as well i'm sure is about um people using pronouns at the beginning or introducing their pronouns as alongside it and um, I just had a question really about like, how helpful or appropriate is that? Because actually, if there's somebody who is sh- who is really genuinely struggling to make those identifications themselves, does it is it risky that you're putting someone in a situation where they've almost got to decide, where they might not necessarily want to? I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it. Um, pronouns is, 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 is a good question. Um...
1: I think it ultimately all well, boils boils down to is respect. Um, you know, there are a lot of non-binary people, um, and like people people are saying, oh, all these people are coming out of the woodwork. We're well, coming out of the woodwork. One, because society is is on the whole a lot more accepting, and two, mm. you know, we have the support of, of trying in law to be able to be considered with dignity and respect. I think that you know, if someone said, like for example, if they're non-binary, and their preferred pronouns are they, them, or z, um, or any you know, other variants of, of of pronouns it's all about respecting and like you, you wouldn't want to i think ultimately people are nice we wouldn't want to offend someone so in a situation where you know someone could be offended like asking what someone's preferred pronouns are it's 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 showing that you see them as a person um you know like we learn people's names so like i i've learned tom's name in the last couple of weeks as i have yours so like i would refer to you as Liam as tom But like you know it's it's the same as learning someone saying like what do you prefer like she her they them he him Mm. he them like people have you know gender specific pronouns as well as non-binary pronouns like i say he them you know it's interesting isn't it it's fascinating because as society and culture evolves language does and i think that because there are far more people now who don't necessarily Identify with the binary and heteronormative roles of, of society and gender That there are more and more people in society who are gender-variant in terms of like their presentation or their, their 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 terms of reference and like pronouns. So I think it's Society is progressing when we're, we're starting to, to use those things and meetings and stuff. I know exactly what you mean I knew where you were going as soon as you mentioned it because like, you know we We're having this conversation in a zoom meeting a, a few weeks ago um i'm part of united with pride because i'm a newcastle united supporter unfortunately <laughs> and i'm part of the lgbt group for newcastle united and um we're recording a video um for f- it's football versus transfer of your week this week so um yeah the video that we, we released yesterday was about calling about pronouns and like someone said like well it's like nick Lanes, isn't it like if your name was thomas and you prefer tom if you said to me i prefer thomas Oh, sorry. If you said to me, "I prefer Tom," and I said, "I'm going to call you Thomas," so, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's it's yeah. it's no different. I, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question or not, Liam. I've answered the question.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there's sort of like two two sides to it, really. One was that I I suppose in the back of my mind, I was like, I I, I get it for the people that I get it for the for the people that are I, I suppose happy to discuss in a position where they want to disclose but at, at work and the way that the way that i've sort of specifically come across it where i'm like well oh, i don't know if i feel 100 percent comfortable with it and not not or or not that even that i feel 100 percent comfortable with it but i'm just like if if somebody wasn't if somebody didn't want to and you're going around a room of like predominantly blokes that are in their 50s that go oh, oh my name's liam and uh, my pronouns are he he, and him and then it gets to someone who's a lot younger and they maybe feel like that it forces them to almost like give an answer that they maybe wouldn't want to give so if, good, if you're chairing a meeting in that in
1: that in that kind of scenario I would just say okay so what I'm gonna do is go around the table we'll do introductions and we'll do pronouns if you want to if will start. To, yeah. my name's yeah. Liam my name's and my pronouns are he him because then it, yeah. it removes any, any kind of sense overwhelming um pressure to have to reveal your you know yeah. um pronouns
2: you don't want to yeah and that that's definitely the yeah that's the common sense way to deal with it um i the other so the other question i sort of had with it as well and it's a book that we've talked about a bit tom isn't it was that with that how to be anti racist book it's those like mm-hmm. gestures that you can put forward that are um uh almost like a kind of tokenism versus those ones that are meaningful and it's how you don't how how to try to make sure that like the things that we do are meaningful and supportive and uh, and help people feel empowered and supported rather than just like a box ticking exercise but yeah yeah again that's definitely about the individual approach that you apply to it i suppose and the um and the tact and the relationships that you build with people one-to-one as opposed to yeah sorry i'll just wrap it in on now
1: no you know it makes perfect <laughs>
2: i, I can't understand
1: why there'd be a, a, like a kind of reticency and a reluctance to kind of to make someone feel uncomfortable about revealing their pronouns but i think the way i would like i said i would just say right you know we'll do instructions um we'll do pronouns if you want to i'll start and then blah 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 because then it removes any need to do it you could even if you wanted to like you know just not give your pronouns you know it's up to you especially if you're like halfway around but you know uh, i think uh, people get hung up on pronouns but a lot of the time it's because people will go out of their way to use the wrong pronouns like people still call me sir like, all right, I am six foot, so I'm a strap and last. But like, I've got female friends who are cis. So, like, there was, you know, they're born female and that's how I identify. And like, like one of my friends, she's six foot seven. And like, she, you know, so like, there are tall women. Mm. Uh, and like, I used to point at my boobs and I go, Come, like, excuse me. Are <laughs> you fucking kidding me, sir? <laughs> but like, you know, I, yeah. I, I just, a lot of the time people don't want to offend. And, hmm. you know, if, if you're struggling, there's always the name. You know, it's 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 probably easier to remember someone's name than it is to remember their pronoun. Sometimes, I don't know, I can get why it's confusing as well. with non-binary people when they're masculine or feminine presenting or there's an ambiguity. They are androgynous, like you might struggle. But, you know, like I said, remember people's nicknames. So, you know, we're not going to do down your throat if you make a mistake.
0: Once again, Liam and I would like to say a huge thank you to Debbie for being such a fantastic guest on this episode of Everyday Problems. Debbie's very active on social media where she likes to share her highs, her lows, some guidance and some absolutely brilliant music recommendations. So please make sure you look her up. The links will be in the show notes. As ever, a big shout out to our patrons who support the show. We can't do this without you folks. So if you'd like to support Everyday Problems, you can go to patreon.com forward slash tom corneal where you can pledge as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month to help us keep the lights on take care everybody and we'll speak to you next time